continuing our sermon series in the book of Amos. And our sermon text today comes from Amos chapter 7, which you can see probably in front of you or in this Bible I'm holding on page 1433. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested, and just as the late crops were coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive! How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people, Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed. And the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. For this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy any more at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the war word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up, and you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. This is the word of the Lord.
we come before you as we open your word and we're reminded of your promises that your word will not come back to you void. And so we're coming with expectation. We're coming as we sit here in the uh, last 45 minutes before our lunch break and we ask God that you would help us to fix our eyes on you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, not only hear these words but be transformed by them. Lord, I pray for those watching online and hearing this later, God, that your spirit might move. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we do when we hear a truth that we don't want to hear? What do we do when we're told a truth that is inconvenient for us? In uh, 1986, Bob Ebling had a message that nobody wanted to hear. Do you guys remember him? He was an engineer who worked on the Challenger space shuttle. And he discovered just a few days before the launch that the unusually cold temperatures in Florida where the space shuttle was set to take off, um, that those temperatures were going to make it hard for the O-rings in the shuttle's booster rockets to form a proper seal. And so he sent a letter to his boss and the subject line of the letter just said, Help! With an exclamation point. He told him the, the problem, and with several other engineers, they started to plead with these bosses that there could be a, a disaster if they go forward with the launch. But if you hear him tell the story as it goes, the, the powers that be were not really interested. They had some long phone calls, they had some debates, but they decided, well, the, the launch has been delayed too long already. There's a lot of pressure for us to get this thing done. And so they ignored the warnings. They went ahead with the plans. And of course, you know the rest of the story, right? The next day, millions of people around the world watched on live television as this space shuttle exploded and killed everybody on board. It was a disaster. But what if they'd taken the warnings seriously? What would the story be today if they had accepted the difficult truth and chosen to respond? Well, today as we open up the book of Amos again, we are encountering another story about the response to a difficult truth. But this is a truth that all of us have to face. It is the truth of a righteous and holy God who has told us he's not going to tolerate sin. It's the truth of a good God, a just judge who must punish the guilty. But how do we respond when we find out that we are the guilty ones? So in this passage, we get to look at the story of how two men react to the news of God's judgment. And so the first thing we're going to see this morning is a reaction of faith. The second thing that we see is a reaction of unbelief. And as we take a step back and look at both of these men, what I hope it's going to lead us to consider is an action, an action of love. So that's where we're headed this morning. Let's, let's get right into it. Uh, let's talk about this reaction of faith. Actually, a quick catch up here, just so you know, What's going on? Uh, we're in the book of Amos. Amos is a prophet. He preached around 760 BC. Uh, 
He preached in what used to be the nation of Israel, but that nation split in half about 100 years before him into two nations. On the bottom here, we've got Judah, and on the top in the north, we have Israel. Judah is the home to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is where God's temple is. But Israel, after the split, they set up several different towns for worship with these other kinds of temples that weren't the true temple. The main one of those was in Bethel, just about 13 miles, 12 miles north of Jerusalem. Now, uh, you may not know this, but after I went to school, I spent a year as a missionary in China. And while I was in China, uh, there were all sorts of copycat products that you could buy. You could go to the store and you could buy a video game for $50, just like you could buy it anywhere else. But you could walk right outside the store and on the corner of the street buy the, the same video game for $1 on the corner. Or you could go to the grocery store and you could buy Oreos that cost, you know, the normal amount of Oreos. Or you could go right outside the store into the little stand and you could buy Oleos. I've got a little picture of them for you. Oleos, as you can see by the picture of the inside, they were not the same <laughs> as Oreos. Well, the temple of Bethel was kind of like those oleos. It was bootleg. It wasn't the real thing. It might have looked similar on the outside. There might have been similar things happening on the inside, but it was an offense to God that it even existed. And so Amos, he came down, he came up to Israel from Judah to tell them that their disobedience to God was over. That God was finally coming to judge them for all of their offenses. He's judging them because in the meantime they'd become very wealthy and they were being unjust and oppressive towards the poor and he is judging them because their worship is false and it doesn't please God. And so as we get into chapter 7, as this passage opens, Amos gets a vision and he, he sees what exactly this judgment is going to be like. And the first picture he sees is this image of God preparing a swarm of locusts. And if you don't know what locusts look like, look on the back of the kids' bulletins. There's a picture. But this swarm of locusts, and they're coming to, to wipe out all the crops so that the people would die of starvation. And we see that immediately Amos cries out and he says, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. Then he sees a second vision of the judgment. And this is a, a, a vision of fire consuming everything and the waters drying up and, and the land being all burnt up. And again, Amos cries out in verse 5. He says, Sovereign Lord, I beg you to stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. And in both of these circumstances, we're told that God listens. God relented after Amos interceded. So in this moment, at the beginning of this passage, Amos really stands for us as an example. An example of someone who responds in faith to a living God. This guy, he is interceding on behalf of the people of Israel 
And, and notice that when he prays, when he addresses God, he comes with the expectation that God's actually going to do something. This past week, I had the opportunity to go to a meeting with a bunch of different pastors. And in this meeting, the leader asked us to share about a time when God had answered our prayers. And one pastor, he opened up and he shared a story about a man in his congregation who had a terminal illness. He was going to die within weeks. And he met this man and he put oil on him and prayed for him. And the guy was miraculously healed. But he didn't share that story because he wanted to brag about this great prayer he'd prayed. He actually said, he shared the story because he said, now every time this man sees him, he just breaks down in tears, remembering what God had done for him. And the pastor said it just makes him feel incredibly awkward. Because <laughs> he knows, on one hand, that he didn't do anything special. right? That's what he does for everybody that's sick. But he also knows that when he prayed, he had very little faith that God would do anything. And he said that even now I sit and think, what if I didn't pray? Would the same thing have happened anyway? I think that story, I think we can relate to that story. I think it illustrates the cynicism that has crept into most of our spiritual lives. In the church, we have high theology but low expectations. Even if we, we have a deep faith, even if we feel very rooted in what we believe, we think, well, God's sovereign, right? God is going to accomplish his purposes with or without me, right? I mean, does it matter if I pray? What's going to change? And yet, over and over again, Scripture gives us this clear doctrine that says God responds to his people. And those people that know God most, are they not the people that pray the most? That means that for us, as we see this, the, the response of faith is not a response that first says, well, i gotta, I got to get to work i got to fix this problem. I see what, what the needs are, and I need to make a five-step plan to address what needs to happen. The, the step of faith is to approach a living God like he's alive, to wrestle with him, to plead with him, honestly. And I, I love that when Amos does this, he doesn't come with all this flowery language, right? He doesn't do anything that people have told us we're supposed to do. He doesn't follow acts, right? He doesn't do adoration and then confession and then thanksgiving and then come up and ask. He just blurts it out, right? Sovereign Lord, forgive! He's like, like a kid dealing with their dad when the punishment is too harsh, right? Dad, please, no! <laughs> Don't ground me for a month. He's not claiming innocence, of course. He's not saying the people are innocent. He knows that they're guilty. That's a given. But he also knows that his God is a God of mercy. And so he cries out to him. 
This is the response of faith. Genuine prayer, need-driven prayer, prayer that is confident that God is listening, and prayer that believes that he might actually do something. And he does, right? In response to this prayer, it says, the Lord relents. He spares them from the disaster that would have led to their imminent death by starvation. And then we get to verse 7, and and we see that there's this final vision. And if you looked in your Bibles, if you were reading along, you might have noticed that the most treacherous footnote in all of Scripture is at the bottom of this page, right? The meaning of this Hebrew phrase is uncertain. The following note, the meaning of this Hebrew phrase is uncertain. Our our our. Uh, translation and most translations say that this is a vision concerning a plumb line but a lot of other scholars say it's about the word tin like the, the metal the truth is this is the only time the word shows up in all of scripture anach but whatever translation you choose the message still comes across and it's a simple message it says that God will not spare the people from all punishment he can't A good God cannot let wickedness go unpunished. But Amos' pleading for the people has changed the outcome. He's not going to let them die by starvation or by fire, but instead he will judge their false worship. And so it says in verse 9, The high places of Isaac will be destroyed. The sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. And with my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. What we see in this first few verses is that Amos is a man who knows God and who instinctively comes to him in his need. That's the response of faith. But now let's look at a reaction of unbelief by comparison. Look in verse 10. Now, in verse 10, we have an amazing thing. Narrative. (laughs) If you've been with us the last few months, you know that we have been chapter after chapter after chapter of these poetic judgments. But finally here, we have this moment where where the story breaks in. We finally get a glimpse into how people are responding to all of this. And the person we hear from is this guy, Amaziah. We're told that Amaziah is the priest of Bethel, right? The, the town I was just talking about, the big counterfeit worship center just north of Jerusalem. And guess what we hear? Well, Amaziah is not happy. That's probably not a surprise, right? He's not, it's not a surprise that the priest of Bethel is not a fan of a prophet from out of town coming in and saying that God is going to destroy you and the temple you work in. But that's not the point. Remember, the, the, think about the comparison. What did Amos do when he heard this message of judgment? How did he react? He wasn't celebrating either. He wasn't jumping up and down. He, he wasn't gleefully delivering this message. But he went to God and he pleaded for mercy. Well, what does Amaziah do? We read in verse 11 that what Amaziah does 
is he sends a message to Jeroboam, the king of Israel. Amos is causing all kinds of trouble. We need to do something about this. And then he goes to Amos and he says, get out of here, Amos. Go back to where you came from. In the same way that Amos is an example for us, showing what it means to respond in faith to a living God, Amaziah, well, he represents us in our unbelief. It's funny, it, it is literally the priest's job to intercede for the people, right? That's what he does. He offers sacrifices. He prays. That was his role, to, to atone for the sins of the people. Bethel, the location of his temple, it means the house of God. And yet, God doesn't even seem to cross his mind, right? Instead of looking to God for help, well, he looks to the government. He looks to the government leaders. Instead of pleading before God like Amos did, well, he goes straight to Jeroboam. Instead of looking with hope to his heavenly father, he looks back down at the world and he says, how can I fix this? And what about us? You know, are we any different from him? We have this theology of an awesome and powerful and mighty God. But do we go to him with our need? Or do we spend most of our time fretting about the news? Arguing about our politics? I think if we're being honest, we probably spend more time scrolling through those news websites or listening to talk radio than we do before the Lord in prayer. And if it's not politics, if it's not politicians that we turn to when we're faced with crisis, it's probably something else. If you're struggling, you know, you're struggling emotionally, so we say go get medicated. You're addicted, so we say go find a program. You're on the verge of divorce, you say, well, go get a counselor. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I am not saying those are, there's no place for those things. I'm not saying there is no place for government or medication or addictive addiction programs or counseling. Uh, medications are often necessary. I, I personally used to go and work at an addiction counseling center every week. I went to counseling just on Thursday. <laughs> I think these things can be helpful. I'm not opposed to them. But what I'm saying is, when our knee-jerk response is to find the fix, instead of to come before a sovereign God, where we're showing where our hope really lies, aren't we? We're showing what we're really trusting in. In his distress, the psalmist, in Psalm 121, he cries out, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But what do you say? What do you trust in? 
Where does your help come from? By rejecting this message that Amos had, Amaziah is exposing what's really going on in his heart. He just wants Amos to go away. (laughs) Go back to where he came from so he can believe that everything is fine. And I think that's the response of unbelief. That's the response of sin in a nutshell, isn't it? That instead of facing reality, we cling to our own idea of rightness and righteousness. Instead of listening to what God says, we we just want to believe that we are basically good people. We don't want to accept the truth. And what's the truth? What's that hard truth that Scripture brings to us? Well, Jeremiah puts it this way. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? What that says is that even the best of us have at our core an incurable disease called sin. And apart from God's mercy, we're lost. We're doomed. Now Amaziah, he rejects that message. He tries to make Amos shut up. Instead of interceding for the people like a priest is supposed to do, instead of trying to pull the people towards God, well, he pushes God away. And as you read the end of the passage, well, Amaziah's rejection of God, it leads to God's rejection of Amaziah. And that's the painful reality. Haven't you seen that before? Sometimes those among us who seem to be the most religious people want nothing to do with a real and living God. You hear me? Sometimes the most religious people in the room want nothing to do with a living God. See, because we, we prefer a God, the God of our imagination, Right? The God who thinks like us. The God who acts like us. The God who votes like us. The God who likes the things we like. The God who approves of all of our choices. But when it comes to a real God, a God who tells us his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts, to that God we say, stay away, back off. And the justice of God is like this. God says to the people who want nothing to do with God, well, he says, fine, I'll give you what you want. And so Amaziah receives God's judgment. And that is the reaction of unbelief. And that brings us to the third thing in this passage, which is an action of love. You know, I'm thankful that we had this narrative interlude. It was nice to get a a relief from the poetry to kind of get my bearings on what's going on in this world. But wow, what a tough moment to see. I mean, this is a, a disturbing interlude. 
in what is, you know, already a pretty heavy book. On each page of this book, as we've read through these prophecies, we have seen this picture over and over again of God who is holy, a God who is righteous, a God who will not tolerate sin. And we, and we find out that, that what God means by righteousness, what God means by justice, well, it's, it's a lot stricter than our definition. It's more than we ever imagined. And at the same time, as we are reading about God's holiness, we see this, the constant failing of the people of Israel. And not only that, not only do we see the constant failing of those people who lived a thousand years ago, but we're faced to deal with our own failings, right? We're faced to contend with our own shortcomings. If we're being honest, most of the time, isn't it the case that, that in our dealings with God, we look a lot more like Amaziah than Amos? Is it not the case that our faith is often weak and wavering? Are, are we not the same kind of fools who over and over again are turning to the, the empty things of the world to save us instead of to a living God? The truth is we live lives that deserve just as much judgment as the people of Israel. Our hearts are sick with the same uncurable disease that theirs was sick with. That is the terrible news we get confronted with over and over again on the pages of this book. So how do we respond to it? When we receive that terrible news, how do we respond? Will we ignore it like Amaziah? Will we push it away? Or will we beg God for mercy like Amos did? Which one will you choose? Well, thankfully, Scripture actually presents us with a third option. It comes in the book of Hebrews. This is what we call the good news. See, it says what we really need is not to do this in our own strength, but what we really need is we need a better intercessor. We need somebody who is better than Amaziah. We even need somebody who's better than Amos. We need someone who will go before the Lord, and not only will he plead for mercy, but we need somebody who will take the penalty for our sin. The gospel message is that since we have all failed, God has sent us his son, and he is the true and better priest that we all long for. In the letter to the Hebrews, we read, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins 
then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed himself for their sins once and for all. Think about this picture. Amaziah the priest tried to sacrifice others to hide his sin. But Jesus, the great high priest, sacrificed himself to cover you with his righteousness. Amaziah was a pretender who offered false worship and an imitation of the house of God. But Jesus promises to you that through your repentance and faith, you can dwell forever in the real house of the living God. So what do we take away from this passage? As we see Amos and we see Amaziah responding to this hard word from God, we get to see two types of lives, right? We see one life lived intimately in relationship with a living God, and then we see another life lived with all the outer signs of religious holiness, but no faith, no power. What I hope you take away from this is a deep longing to know a living God. To know that because of this gospel message we just read, because of this, we can come boldly before him in faith. We can come in the name of Christ knowing that we have nothing to fear. The author of Hebrews goes on to say, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If this passage teaches us anything, it teaches us that we have to become the kinds of people who live in relationship with the living God. Who come to him first. Whatever the crisis is that we face, whatever the obstacle is, whatever the odds are against us, we must become a people who are desperate and who are dependent in our prayers. If you don't know how to do that, and that seems overwhelming. If you feel like you don't know where to start. Well, let me just point you back to Amos and to his words. To come before him and say, Sovereign Lord, forgive. He has and he will. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. We are desperate for you. We see the stories of these men and the lives they lived. And we're terrified. We don't want to be on the wrong side of your judgment. And so we come before you in the name of Jesus and we ask, Lord, today that you would cover us with the righteousness of Christ. We pray for any of those here who may not know where they stand before you. And we ask, God, that you would reveal yourself. That you would lead them to come and speak to a pastor or anyone in this room to know that they too can be confident in their salvation. And Lord, we pray for all of us here sitting in this room, facing the challenges that we face with the fears that we have, 
And we ask, Lord, that you would relent, that you would spare us, that your mercy would flow in our lives, and that we could be a testament to your grace. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.